Hey everyone, just a reminder that we are recording remotely while we're quarantined, uh, so the sound might be slightly compromised, but hopefully not too bad. Enjoy! Welcome to Feminists Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting firehose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week, we'll vent about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we'll end with something hopeful. And we will actually be um, guests on Not Your Little Lady, the podcast uh, tomorrow, or probably when you're listening to this, or it's released November 18th, um, talking about how important the Georgia election is and she lives there and, and all that jazz. So it was a fun convo and I encourage you all to, to give a listen and, and check out her podcast. And um, as always, if you're enjoying us, uh, like us, follow us, send us e-cards, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Rate, review, subscribe. We had a really nice uh, review last week that was... Oh, uh, we loved it. Yeah, it was great. It's just, um, it's really nice. Um, it really makes our day, week, month when um, we get a nice new review and it helps people find us. Uh, and especially this year, which I don't know how many other, if you're listening and you're a podcaster, or if you're just, you know... Uh, a civilian. Just just a mere civilian. civilian. (laughs) Not in the podcast world as much. I think um, what I've noticed across the community is that um, I think a lot of podcasters are burnt out. um, And it's really hard to just, especially if you're juggling family responsibilities and jobs and and whatnot, it's, it's hard to kind of keep a regular podcast going. It's hard to sort of compete with a lot of the other um, more like quote unquote mainstream like indie podcasts that have mm-hmm. advertisers and everything. So if you find um, an independent podcast that you like or, or suits any of your needs, um, a, a rating or review or sending it to people because the internet is always full of, Twitter is full of people asking for podcast recommendations. Um, feel free to, to recommend us. We're also on Spotify. So yeah. yeah we're, we're all over. We're everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> Love it. We're going to be talking about uh, like the pandemic and kind of our experiences with it today. Um. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I think first you want to do kind of a an overview of where we're at, uh, the numbies. Uh, as of yesterday, November 16th, um, one... 166,581 new cases. Um, on average, in the last seven days, there have been uh, 1,155 deaths a day. Mm-hmm. Um, Trump has not attended a coronavirus task force meeting in over five months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's And if you look at you can look at your state, you can look at the trending graphs nationally, like third wave is happening. Um, I mean, just anecdotally, my uncle in Nebraska ended up being hospitalized with COVID. He got the plasma and the remdesivir, and then he was discharged. Now his wife, my aunt, has COVID, and so we're kind of waiting to see if she'll need to go to the hospital or, or what. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... It's it's happening now. Then I had a friend um, who was worried about having COVID, tested negative. I wasn't sure if they were actually negative because they felt like they were symptomatic. And um, we were talking before we started recording about this sort of infographic going around mm-hmm. that <clears throat> talks about the risk of getting COVID from a gathering of 10 people in, on Thanksgiving. And I think in King County, which is where Seattle is and other places in Washington, it was like 1 in 11 and you were saying in South Dakota, it was like 90 something out of a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. And as of a few days ago, it was one in 300 and something people in the country had tested positive for COVID within the last week. Like it is, it is happening. Um, and mm-hmm. we, because of who is in charge still, um, not really uh, making leaps and bounds. So state by state, you know, even places like Iowa where they used to be very opposed to things like mask mandates are are starting to come around, which is good. And then here in Washington state, we have new restrictions. Um, 
So we're kind of going back phases to try and um, curtail this because... I mean, people argue that the fatality rate is low. It's not that low. And um, even if it was, the amount of people to get hospitalized mean that resources are tied up. People can't get the help they need. Medical staff get burned out. Like, it's just, we need to, we can't just pretend it's not happening and <laughs> wander around. You know, we have to do, make some real moves. Um, yeah. yeah it's really scary especially just looking at the the overall case rate i mean we're above we're far above the peaks of of april may and then the peaks of july august we're way above that um the cases are up 82 percent according to the new york times in like looking at over the last 14 days deaths are up 40 percent and deaths are death hospitalizations and deaths are like a lagging indicator of like of what's going on so uh, it's gonna be really scary if people don't heed like the warnings about not gathering for thanksgiving and things are allowed to kind of continue what is going to i mean how much more we're gonna see i mean by one two weeks from now it's gonna it's it's already looking really bad in terms of um hospitals filling up i think um the Swiss, uh, Switzerland's, all of their intensive care beds are full at this point, um, which is, was, it's just really scary. Um, and, and a lot of hospitals are trying to plan around having hospital beds, uh, completely filled up because, and, and that means like, uh, having to delay other life-saving procedures, other like therapies like for cancer patients and just um, trying to keep people out of hospital beds um, as much as possible so that people who need care for um, urgent COVID care are there's space for that. Um, But it just has all these other downstream effects on other other people in the healthcare that need, that need healthcare. Um, It's, uh, it's extremely frustrating that we um, are just continuing to see, like, let's see, wrote, wrote in my notes something about, like, you know, uh, one theme of, of the Trump presidency and Trump Trumpism. Pardon me. Oh, bless you. <laughs> Should have muted myself. Continue. No. <laughs> um, just one theme, the theme of, of uh, denying reality, denying facts on the ground, denying death counts, denying that wearing masks works, like denying um, what health recommendations are being put forward. Um, it's it's having these like absolutely catastrophic effects. Um, the most the most real of which is is um, almost 250,000 dead Americans at a rate of at this point almost 800 people a day. Someone and and someone put it this way, which is crass, but also like imagine if um, ISIS was killing 800 Americans a day. Like, wouldn't we? You know, how how differently would this be if if it were a a terrorist situation? Bless you. Okay. Um, and you know, I just thought that was kind of just another interesting way to think about because the rate of death and, 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 um, being, as we've spoken about comparing this to other countries, um, we are in such a difficult spot right now because a lot of people went about their lives this year, um, as if like not taking the recommendation seriously and choosing to believe whatever they wanted to believe, which again was, was promoted by the president and his, his staff, um, all of that bad behavior. Um, and, I find, um, and we (laughs) talked about this before we started recording, but I find that all of that creates a space where I am feeling like corrosive resentment towards people that have treated this casually throughout the year and who have traveled like with, with abandon and have taken these health recommendations less seriously because you and I who have fought and a lot of people I know who haven't seen their families all year, haven't seen friends, you know, we haven't seen each other in person aside from literally like maybe two socially distanced walks and your socially distanced wedding. Like we, we lived on the same block. We haven't seen each other in person all year. Um, you know, (laughs) and like, yeah, it's really fucking sad. Um, 
And I am feeling, and I'm exactly the exact person that the media now is like talking about in terms of like, we just have to be better. You know, we have to, we have to just keep going and we can't travel to see our family, even though we want to, I will say, I want to see my family this Christmas, my parents specifically, um, and my brother and sister, but I, and I, I feel real, real resentment towards people who have just traveled all year that have created this system, this moment where I find it like unbearable, the thought of being apart from my family on Christmas right now. Just, it would have been different if I had seen them at some point, but I haven't. And so for me personally, and sorry, I hope like there's of course, like there's lawn stuff happening in the background. Hopefully it's not too bad, but it's so annoying. Um, speaking of things that are pissing me off at the moment. Um, but I am, I just, I resent it. I, I, you know, having been a good all year and uh, like losing my mind in a one bedroom apartment, um, on the other side of the country for my family, I am at a point where it's like, I'm, I've tried to figure out a safe way to to travel where I quarantine with my brother and his wife and then for three to five days and then get tested and then see my family, my parents, not like it's going to be a big gathering, but still. And you know, it's kind of a top, it's kind of not, I'm not sure. I mean, I, if it gets worse, who knows? Like, but I'm just at a place where like, it's completely unthinkable, (laughs) you know, to not see my parents. And, um, I think a lot of people who have been good all year are feeling like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like the one thing that we, you know, if, if, if you, if you figured out one way to see family and we're getting to a place where now the restrictions are going to be the tightest that they've ever been for, for a good reason, because people can't be trusted. Um, it's just on a personal, like on a personal level, it's incredibly, uh, Frustrating, sad, depressing, I don't know. Insert your term. (laughs) (laughs) Insert here. Yeah, it's incredibly difficult. I miss, I have, it's no shock to you, but I I Mm. love children. I love my nieces and nephews to an extreme amount, like to the point where I was like, I will be there for all of their birthdays, not knowing it was going to turn into, I have six, almost seven now. So it's like, all right, maybe not. But either way, it's like, I I really made an effort to, um, for the most part, my family was on the West coast as well, made a big effort to go and like see them and spend time with them. And it was just, it was really important to me to get those trips a few times a year to, to see them and because it's like when children are, you know, when they're growing, they change so much in between. And like, I wanted to be like, I want to be a present aunt and I want to be, you know, a positive force in their lives and all these things. And, um, I'm thankful for zoom and I'm thankful for the technology we have, but it's so hard not being able to, to see these people, you know, it's like, obviously my wedding <laughs> got, uh, mm-hmm. adjusted <laughs> to a tiny, very distanced farm ceremony and, Currently, the reception's supposed to be in July. I don't know if that's going to have to change or, or what's going on, but it's, you know, I, have, I haven't seen my family since last Christmas, which ended with my, my dad in the ER, so it wasn't like super chill family vibes either. And then yeah. Charlie and I, my husband, I got really, really, really sick with a stomach bug. And um, I just, yeah, I haven't seen my family either in such a long time besides for my dad who lives with with me and I help take care of um and it's I also just got so accustomed to to going places traveling a few times a year like not internationally but going to see my family and Mm -hmm. seeing my close friends and it really did kind of charge my batteries to some extent Mm -hmm. um I'm socially anxious, but I am an extrovert (laughs) and I, (laughs) like I feed off of that time with people and, um, it's just, it's getting harder and harder, like throughout the, yeah, cause like I started quarantining in like February when Charlie and I were feeling sick and Mm -hmm. it's been such a long time and you know, my, I won't be able to go back to work until I don't know when, but it's been put back many, 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 many months because of the pandemic. And, um, without that, I don't have my own income and without, you know, there are all these life events, like we're going to start trying to have kids and Mm -hmm. things like that, that are just 
paused. I'm just about to turn 30. And mm-hmm. um, like, I literally got my fertility hormones tested because I was like, I want to make sure. Yeah. That, and that's not a full picture. You need, you know, other exams too. And thankfully, those results were good. But like, I'm so, it's just like we've been doing the right thing this whole time and everything has been so hard and it had to wait on so many important life things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's a little reductive, but that meme that went around a while ago about how it's like when you're in class and there's a few kids misbehaving and recess keeps getting pushed off and off and off and off. Yeah. Um, and that's what it feels like. It, it feels like we've, fuck, like we've, we've known the threat. I appreciate that the restrictions that are going to place are going to place from like a public health standpoint and like mm-hmm. a citizen of the world, but like, mm-hmm. We if we had more competent leadership and we had a better um, American public, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have to be doing this. It's like if we could all just agree to suffer extra for a shorter period of time, mm-hmm. then we could all be back with our families, going to the salons, doing these things more quickly than if we just try to pretend like COVID's not real and try to, you know, and so it's like we have a few, some people living their lives as if nothing's happened and that's just stopping life for the rest of us even longer. And it's just, Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's also kind of representative of how I felt in general, like just living in a Trump administration when I don't agree with anything he's doing and just be like, I don't believe in any of this and I'm not that person. And yet these things continue to happen and he has enough support and you know it's mm-hmm. it's just this total lack of control and just doing the right thing and it not mattering mm-hmm. um which is uh difficult because yeah it's just like the ups and downs that <laughs> i use ups <laughs> generously of the pandemic it's mm-hmm. mental health wise like i haven't I'm not in like any like serious depression bouts or anything, but I definitely in the pandemic have just had like depressive episodes here and there. My anxiety is like a million percent. Mm -hmm. Um, I have nightmares literally almost every night Mm -hmm. Um, and they're, they're awful. And it's just like, uh, and I know it's a product of just of all of this. Uh, Mm -hmm. I just want it to be over. (laughs) Yeah. Supposed to be the prime of our lives. (laughs) I know that's the other, I mean, like yeah that's that's part of it too it feels like there's nothing really to focus on except for all the bad things um you know there's only so much like baking cooking sewing <laughs> like whatever crafts like rearranging your fucking furniture that people can do um I can't imagine having kids in this moment. Like I can't imagine people who have children and have to balance like all that. I think it's, it's hard enough, like, you know, being in a relationship when you are finding yourself getting into the same like niche arguments, which like, again, good problem to have because it's, I cannot imagine like what I would do without, (laughs) without Campbell in this, uh, in this pandemic. Oh my God. Um, But you know, you just find yourselves like, just falling into the crevices of like the exact treading the exact same ground on like dumb arguments, you know? And, um, for me, my anxiety totally through the roof and like fixating on very specific things, um, that it's just like, I feel very, um, we're all feeling suffocated, but it's very, it's very hard. Um, like, yeah, I can't, I very lucky to have a job that I can work, work remotely. Um, but I'm also, in a space where I'm just trying to figure out like at 30 kind of what I want to spend more time doing and how I want to, yeah. Like what, what is next for me professionally? Like, should I, should I check out like grad school? Should I like really pivot? Like which direction should I pivot? It's really hard to understand, to like be able to know that or feel any, any inkling in in any direction when you're just like stuck at home all the time. And when hiring is so shut down, um, and to feel like part of what was part of what I, I really liked about my job was the people interactions and not having those face-to-face interactions with the people I work with has been actually like a lot harder than I thought it would be. Um, it's definitely just like very sustaining to be able to, to 
to be able to have that that interaction. I mean, which is probably something that I would have never been able to carefully identify before the the pandemic. Um, I don't know. I think I'm an ambivert, but uh, <laughs> I yeah. I like I was thinking too about how like I moved to Seattle, as you know, right after like right before. Hillary lost the election. My God. Um, um, And like, I had been in New York for eight years and had had what felt like just like, I mean, it was like extrovert central station. And I was just like constantly firing on all cylinders, like at work and socially. And there was like a lot going on all the time. And so when I moved to Seattle, I moved like consciously knowing that I wanted all of that to sort of like cool down a bit. I really wanted like space and time to think and time to, I, I, I like actually reveled and I got my studio apartment and you were here and like I was dating someone, you know, but it was just very kind of a lot, a lot of like mental space to sort of just chill. But if that had already started to kind of wind down and my, my needs for like more people and more stimulation was sort of already on the upswing before the pandemic, it has really like gone into overdrive at this point thinking like, I, okay, I've had the piece. I need like the other side of the pendulum and yeah. that sort of affects kind of, I think that's going to affect for probably for a lot of people decisions we all make in the coming years about where we want to live and what we want to do. Yeah. It's, um, it's a whole lot of, it's a whole lot of things. <laughs> it's like, I mean, theoretically, I mean, one good thing potentially is that the, it looks like we have two really promising vaccines potentially from Pfizer with looks like 90% efficacy and then Moderna with 94.5% mm-hmm. which Dolly Parton donated a shit ton of money to and what a queen um, <laughs> that episode we're just like fucking <laughs> celebrate her I love her so much she's so great yeah. um and so it's just like oh god I hope I hope those vaccines work out and that we can get them distributed and um get out of this but there's there's no, I mean, there's no saying there won't be another pandemic. Um, there's no saying, I mean, the, the vaccines look pretty good right now, but we don't, again, we don't know. Mm-hmm. They haven't f- completely finished their processes and we don't know what the distribution's going to look like, what's it going to cost. I mean, the thankfully the Biden and um, Biden president-elect has, mm-hmm. has a plan involving free COVID vaccines for all for all Americans, but yeah, I'm curious. I mean, psycho- apparently psychologists think that for the most part, people won't have long-term psychological damage to like a serious degree from this period of time. Um, not including people who suffered from COVID and people who were um, medical providers to mm-hmm. severely sick people, mm-hmm. which I found like a little heartening. Um, but it's, it's definitely, I can't wait for the world to reopen, but it's definitely going to be quite an adjustment. I don't know if you feel the same way, but when I do see human beings, which isn't very much, and it's never, it's never friends to random people out in the world, like at the (laughs) store. I feel so, I'm like, I don't know how to do this anymore. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't really, I don't get, um, there's a, a funny, like, meme tweet whatever I saw that was like we haven't we haven't had WAP while clubs were open (laughs) (laughs) that's what's gonna happen you know like it might be too much (laughs) um which I thought was funny but it's I do think there's gonna be like sort of a when the when the world reopens there will be kind of a an adjustment period but I just I can't wait to see the people again because it just feels like I'm losing, I mean, I'm grateful I'm not sick with COVID and I'm grateful mm-hmm. that my immediate family has not gotten COVID and, you know, I'm grateful that I'm, I'm safe and, I, and all those things. But um, even with all that said, I'm, I'm still uh, having a real, real hard time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, I really, I just really want to be around human beings again. Yeah. Um, the ones that I, that I choose to be around and, um, yeah, it's just, it's like the world pressed pause on our lives. And um, 
I just, I want the play button. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we just had no, I mean, even, um, even the people, the, you know, my bosses who are in infectious disease sciences, like, uh, even when they warned, like when, when this was starting and I sort of, my boss sort of sat me down and was like, FYI, this is going to be really bad. Um, that seemed like, you know, I heard him and I, and I believed that he, like, I believed that he thought he was right. And I believed that it would be bad, but I, I, even in his estimation where he said, you might be working like remote for a few months, I was like, I, that's just like, I mean, none of us, he said a few months. I mean, it's like, it's going to be over a year by the time. I mean, it'll be a year and a half, possibly forever, but um, it's crazy to me how, right. It happened so quickly. I mean, you and I, we didn't know when we were recording our last in-person podcast, like you jokingly said something. I remember like when you were, I think you guys were sick, but it was like before quarantining was real, but you were like, ah, just because like this COVID stuff. Yeah. Hit Seattle pretty early. Yeah. Yeah. You were like, we'll just, we're just gonna, you know, so we did it remotely the first time and you were like, and then you were like, jokingly, like, or maybe we'll just be down the street recording remotely for months. Like, ha ha ha. And I was like, ha ha. No. (laughs) It's like, no, it'll be years. (laughs) (laughs) this is how it's like oh my god it's just no one no one could have really known but the thing that we did know is that we know that the government of like the obama administration had a pandemic preparedness task force that was all put together and funded you know we know that they had a playbook and it was very specific it had to they were in their um their the playbook and what that they rehearsed was it was specifically a respiratory disease that was that came from like the meat markets of china as it it, this was like it was very specific um and and yeah i i i i'm sure that for the rest of our lives we will be consuming documentaries and dramas and podcasts and books about this period of time and all of the different fucked up things we'll learn. Um, but like living through it, it's really, I mean, we know enough, we know a lot now about how, how, how poorly this was handled and how much death could be, could have been avoided. Um, and you know, as, as, things kind of, because it does feel like they're kind of closing in on us. Like, it's really good and really hopeful. Like, I'm very, I'm so glad that these um, vaccines are looking to be good, like, like they might be able to be distributed in early 2021. Obviously, we're not getting them early, but like, uh, you know, just the fact that they'll start to be getting out there is going to be good. Um, I, I do feel an extra burden as, as the cases tick upward, um, to really not participate in the spreading of this virus. And I, uh, my boss has kind of said the same things over and over about how, like, could you basically, you know, just in with the light sentence, the light sentiments of like, could you live with yourself if you like killed a family member by bringing, being the vector for this, um, disease, which the answer is like, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, and I think that if we were all thinking about it in those terms, we would be a lot more austere. Well, not all of us. A lot of us have been being good all year. I would like, I'd just like to call that out. Like a lot yeah. of us have been good all <laughs> We've been good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but this is a, this is going to be a, I'm really, I'm, I mean, my anxiety about Thanksgiving, Christmas and, and watching the way that I, I it's going to be hard. I don't know. I, I'm, did you like, there was something on Twitter slash TikTok, and I, it's been retweeted by blue check marked and, you know, for all just epidemiologists. So, so I think it's valid, but, or like real, but um, it was a nurse from El Paso and she was a traveling nurse. And she was talking about how there's this like El Paso, which has been hit really hard recently. And there's like 10 
truck morgues, you know, like stacked out outside for the bodies. And she was saying that there's a place called like the pit where they basically like bring patients and they only get a certain amount of care because it's assumed that they're going to probably die like overnight or whatever. And doctors don't even go in there because it's like, so, so it was like, I'll have to find it and send it to you, but it was really chilling and upsetting. Yeah. It's, there are these sort of like, if, if you're in nursing school or medical school or probably other like medical adjacent things, there's, you'd go through these scenarios and like medical ethics. And if there was some, if there were a pandemic to hit, you know, and you don't have space for everybody, do you prioritize the people that the data su- suggests will do the best? Um, which is, you know, younger people or people without pre-existing conditions. And it's so chilling and sad and awful to see that it's actually going into practice. You know, mm-hmm. these sort of theoretical academic questions um, of what to do. And then, and it's like, it feels wrong to do that, but then it's like, but what's the right thing to do? You know, and the fact that we have our backs up against the wall with this is, you know, again, due to the, the missteps every which way from the Trump administration and, um, I feel like that can't be repeated enough and it's yeah I mean being and the thing is it's like yeah a lot of those patients that are being sent to places like the pit probably would have would have died but there will be some of those that if they had every life-saving measure thrown at them would have made it and we'll never know who those people were mm-hmm. but the point is because people aren't taking you know mask mandates and social distancing and staying away from people seriously people are going to die that didn't have to die mm-hmm. um and you know god how much more selfish can you get than not <laughs> than not doing things like wearing a mask and distancing and you know, not going on a month trip to Greece or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, because the reality is like you, you might not ever know it, um, but you could kill somebody. Yeah. Or many somebodies, you know, it's like there's some super spreader events where no one from the actual event dies, but then right. you look out and dozens of people have died because of that event. Because, like that wedding in Maine. Yeah, that was- exactly. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, you know, on one hand, it's deeply, deeply, deeply depressing and uh, difficult beyond words to be kind of like existing this way, especially when you have for so long, like we've been talking about, but it's also important to keep doing it because it's, it's, it's awful and it's unfair that people not participating in these measures have made it go on so much longer, but Mm -hmm. even if that's, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah. (laughs) This is a super simplistic way to do it. And it's, it's incredibly frustrating. And that's, you know, part of why we're talking about it today is just kind of, you know, vent. And I think it's probably an experience a lot of people are having, but Mm -hmm. we still gotta, we still gotta do it. We still gotta, (laughs) Yeah. mask up and, and keep our distance and you know only travel if it's really safe or we have a plan or we have to go or you know it's mm-hmm. it's just fucking awful we, we miss people and we miss life and <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's it, hopefully with um, a new administration will come new mandates that will actually you know stop this thing or slow it down mm-hmm. enough so that we can get back to a new normal yeah, before the vaccine is readily available to everyone. And never forget, too, that speaking of new administration, um, that Mitch McConnell and, and the GOP, like, have refused to pass anything, any coronavirus relief since the spring. Um, they refuse to even like hear what the how you know the, the acts of the house has passed, and Nancy Pelosi and Steve Mnuchin had been working together trying to figure out the second round. So, but but the Senate was able to convene in record time to shove Amy Coney Barrett's nomination passed, and to hmm. um, uh, McConnell has convened the Senate again uh, last week or this I forget, maybe it was this week already. Gosh, but to um, jam forward some other judge judge, uh, nominations, um, judge appointments. And 
I I will be very uh, interested in the most like fucked up way to see the statistics in terms of exactly what was passed this year in terms of um, there was you know, nothing in the, in the way of coronavirus relief. Um, Mitch McConnell, you know, he's, he's, he's one of, if not the most cynical politician in the last 50 years. Um, one of the absolute worst people walking the earth right now. And Kentucky gave him a mandate to be in office for another six years. And, um, that's appalling to me. And it's, it's absolutely something that just like, (laughs) It, I walk around every single day. There's like a, a part of me that remembers Mitch McConnell is a, is in power, and that bothers me deeply, deeply to my core. And I just, I, I, I anyone who's listening, I would just kind of, you don't have to be as bothered as me because that's unhealthy. Um, but just spare a thought for him and for what he has not done for the country because his job was, his job is to do things. His job is to actually like pass legislation. Mm-hmm. We've already looked in the past and he has presided over the least productive Congress. Um, again, modern in modern history by, by leaps and bounds. Um, and he'll revel in that role in the Biden administration where he, he needs his dick sucked basically before like he'll even do anything reasonable in terms of compromise. He also, I heard this like other little nugget where he has praised Biden as like a good friend or a good like colleague. And he's only done that because he gets perverse pleasure in like upsetting the left that are like, fuck Biden's friends with Mitch McConnell. It's like, he's not even, they're not even friends. Like they have worked together because they've both been around the Senate for a hundred thousand years. But this, this, the, the, the things that bring him pleasure are like the perverse things that bring like monsters pleasure. Like he is, he revels in being called the Grim Reaper. And I would think um, we could actually call him that in kind of a literal sense at this point, considering how very, very little he has done to help the American population through this, help businesses, you know, suicide rates are up 200%. um, And um, it's just, I, I just, let's not like lose sight of these other peripheral people who are so, so bear, bear an extraordinary responsibility for the situation that we're in right now. Yeah. Mitch McConnell is a, an evil sack of shit. Um, and actually, and speaking of the, ugh, the question of this, like, like suicides being up 2,200%, I would, cause that was making the rounds um, last week on Twitter. And like, I think that's another thing that's really like, like even as we're talking about it, like I have a headache. I should have brought Advil because <laughs> like, the, you know, the conversation is just, it's, there are so many different tendrils to this, but I find that I really am thinking and, and hoping for the best for um, my ex-boyfriend who I think in a very, uh, again, like weird way got, like the pandemic is almost like what maybe if you had asked him like two years ago, what he wanted, (laughs) he would have been like a global pandemic so that I don't have to see anyone and I can just play video games and like not do anything. And I've been thinking a lot about sort of that, uh, that, and I think like, I, I, you know, he can't be the only one, but like just people who, I mean, I, to some extent was like, I can't, I am not traveling on a plane and like through April of 2020, like until April, I'm not traveling. Cause like, I need some time at home, you know, mm-hmm. but I think that there are a lot of people who, uh, generally think that they want the, the space to be left like fully alone. But, um, ultimately that's not what they want. That's not what's best. And, and yeah. so checking in on people, um, when it's appropriate, just because like anyone who's living by themselves right now, um, it's just, we're all getting less support. So. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's important to kind of check in on people, I think. And because even for people who had no history of mental illness before this, which is certainly not me, eh, (laughs) but even for them, like they're experiencing depression, anxiety, all kinds of, all kinds of mental health issues that they never experienced before because of just the kind of 
bizarre, ever-present nature of this pandemic. And so for people who have histories of mental illness or people who were actively struggling when this started, um, God, I mean, it's it's just, you know, kicking you when you're down. Um, so, yeah, I think it's important for us all to kind of check in on each other. It's hard because it's... <laughs> in a way this whole experience is somewhat unifying because it's like we're all alone together those Mm -hmm. of us who have been you know doing what we're supposed to be doing but it's still incredibly lonely and it's you know it's hard because you want to see people in person and you want to give them a hug and you want to like hold their hand and you want and you can't do those things and it's also hard because it's like we're all individually struggling so it's extra hard to, to reach out to people because it's like i don't have any tank in my you know any gas in my tank how mm-hmm. am i gonna but i i do think <clears throat> there's some beauty in in how certain people have kind of you know, taking care of each other. And I think it's important to, you know, think about the people in your life and maybe someone, you should send someone like a, a little funny gif or, or this or that, or, or just check on them because it's it's hard for all of us. And mm-hmm. for people who are already struggling, it's, you know, tenfold harder, like you said, with the suicide rate. So mm-hmm. yeah, hard times, hard times. <sighs> Rough. Rough. <laughs> <sighs> well, let's see. Is there any other um, anything you'll want to add before we sort of hobble over to the WCUs? <laughs> I am ready to hobble. Hobble, hobble. Okay, good. Um, you're up. <laughs> And now for we see you. <laughs> I know that's the thing. It's like I have almost yeah. I have COVID, right? No, I, I don't because I haven't had it that I know of. But I do feel like a fog of like, Ugh. you know. Yeah, I'm definitely definitely a foggy babe. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay, so Harry Styles posed in a gown on the cover of Vogue, and he was the first man to appear solo on the cover and he looked great he spoke in the article to the creativity and the fun of dressing and dressing up and how those things are amplified when you remove gender barriers and gender restrictions from what you wear uh candace owens who is always rife with awful fucking takes was not pleased uh she tweeted that there is no society that can survive without strong men The East knows this. In the West, the steady feminization of our men at the same time that Marxism is being taught to our children is not a coincidence. It is an outright attack. Bring back manly men. Um, Then she doubled down and talked about how toxic masculinity is not real and and all that jazz but who who does it hurt if a man wears a dress the concepts of masculinity and femininity change over time they vary from person to person it used to be common for men to wear tights and makeup and for boys to be dressed in pink and girls in blue and regardless of what is considered traditional or trendy at the moment people deserve the freedom to wear whatever they feel good in um because unless someone is wearing a suit full of knives and trying to give you a hug or someone is wearing something openly hateful like the confederate flag what they're wearing is of absolutely no consequence to you um and also worth noting that wearing femme clothes does not make a man weaker because femininity is not synonymous with weakness some days i wear stretchy pants most days i wear stretchy pants because it's covid uh (laughs) some days i wear jeans sometimes i feel like putting on something sparkly or putting on a dress or a skirt because I feel it in the moment. And men should be able to wear what they want to wear too. People like Candace accomplish nothing. All they do is promote shame and guilt. I'm glad kids can see cool musicians like Prince, Bowie, and Harry Styles (laughs) challenging the gender construct. We need to let go of the idea that something is lost or destroyed when we don't limit things based on gender. We see you, Candace Owens. Ugh, we see you. Trash. That's just such a trash take. Those pictures were so cool too. Like oh yeah, he yeah he looked aw- looked awesome. Very yeah. high fashion. Yeah, I was like oh good 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 good. A little breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. <sighs> um okay, this one <laughs> this one really got me yesterday, as you know, because I texted you about it. Um, 
but um, in Denmark, uh, the decision was made to basically cull, but AKA slaughter, 17 million mink, um, which, and to, to, to slaughter them because there's a potential because mink have been found to 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 be able to contract coronavirus and um, give it back to humans. And uh, the concern is that when the virus travels from a mink back to a human, potentially, it might um, have the effect of mutating the virus in a way that um, in um, makes a, a COVID vaccine ineffective, uh, which is obviously a very serious thing. And um, that's a problem that we should, we should try to avoid. But this really stopped me in my tracks. Um, first, because I was like looking at the top picture, which is of a mink just looking out with their little paws, like that look, I don't know, just like looking out, like about to be fucking slaughtered for no reason. And I, I mean, obviously not for no reason, but for like, it just kind of like just the magnitude of COVID in so many ways is already hard to wrap your brains around, but killing 17 million live animals because of this sort of like potential for, uh, um, an invalidating of a, of a COVID vaccine, but without actually like the science necessarily fully behind it and without, um, a legal, a legal basis, which they've now admitted that there was, it was a rushed plan with no legal basis. Um, seems like wildly, um, inhumane and irresponsible, um, this was also news to me, just this whole, this whole like mink population of Denmark was news to me because I thought that like we were done with mink killing, like farming them for their um, fur, for mink coats and stuff. I thought that was done. I thought that this was like a vintage thing that we stopped doing, but like you <clears throat> brought up, it, it might be over in the United States, but not globally. Um, so I just feel like it's so horrendous then. It makes it even more awful that we farm and like breed these animals for the basis of killing them for their fur and then just need to kill the entire population because of a problem in terms of them possibly passing COVID back to humans. Um, And it's just... uh, I would also just caution people if you're going to Google this just to be careful because there is like not trigger warnings and there are just like pictures on the BBC and the independent and all these different places of just like mass graves of just dumped like minks. Um, And it's just, ah, I just like, it really hit me and I really, it, you know, hit me in some kind of way yesterday. And I, um, I, just yeah had to bring it up as we see you it's it's so um it's so troubling to me we just <laughs> humanity it it, it it was definitely we'll talk about like talk about a low a pandemic low point it just felt like god we just we just have we just create problems and and devastation wherever we go uh don't we <laughs> so we do. to, to denmark um culling their mink we see you. We see you. So uh, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger said that Lindsey Graham asked him whether he had the power to reject certain absentee ballots, a question that Raffensperger interpreted as a suggestion to toss out legally cast votes. Um, Raffensperger is a Republican himself who wanted Trump to win the election <laughs> mm-hmm. and said that his family has received death threats. He's also said that he's faced pressure from Republicans, not just Lindsey Graham, who want to see Biden's lead in the state reversed. They want Trump to win but they know that he can't do so legally. Uh, Specifically, Lindsey Graham asked whether political bias might have caused elections workers to accept ballots with non-matching signatures, and whether Raffensperger could throw out all absentee ballots in counties that have higher rates of non-matching signatures. 
Graham said that the accusations are ridiculous and that he was just curious about the process. <laughs> curious. Just curious. He just has a thirst for knowledge, Lindsey Graham. <sighs> like, LOLK. Like, you have no credibility. You've been caught in pretty huge lies. Remember, like, the whole Supreme Court nomination thing? Uh, <sighs> yeah. So once the... Uh, Let's see. Trump's administration has done the opposite of drain the swamp, and creatures like Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell are perfect examples of this. They have no loyalty to their constituents or to democracy, but rather beholden exclusively to their own interests. If counting every vote is scary to you because that means you'll lose, then that's just too bad. Democracy means counting every vote and choosing country over party. We see you, Lindsey Graham. Fucking... Douche nozzle. God, he's worse and worse by the day. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Remember when he had dignity at one point, like years ago? Yeah, he gave that People took him seriously. God, what an awful person. Another person that we just gave, South Carolina just gave him another six-year mandate to. (sighs) Hiss. Boo. (laughs) Um, So Vox uh, has reported um, a new study by the University of Texas at Austin researchers that 80% of uh, those who died of COVID in Texas county jails were never convicted of a crime, which is just devastating. 80% were not, of people who died were not convicted of a crime. Um, There are... uh, over 230 people who have died in Texas's correctional facilities. Um, And this is not even, um, this is a problem that, that has also extended to, to a lot of uh, county jails throughout the country throughout COVID where Tate's states took really didn't take um, COVID very seriously. And when we think about what we're doing to protect the most vulnerable, um, prison populations are certainly the most vulnerable. And um, they have become just like hotbeds for, for the virus. Um, Rikers Island, um, the rate of infection there was 9% compared to 2% in the rest of New York City. Um, In Michigan, uh, 10% of prisoners and 21% of staff tested positive in in the spring. Um, And that made their outbreak even worse than Rikers or or Cook County in Chicago. Um, And in Ohio, more than one in five of the state's confirmed cases are uh, in the prison system. Um, They're uh, at one correctional institution, 73% of inmates tested positive uh, for the virus. Um, And then that's just, those are just like the inmates, but then there's the guards and any other staff who also are at a higher, much higher risk uh, for contracting COVID. And um, as has come to my attention, uh, we do not pay correctional workers very well. And um, the people who are wardens just are, are also not necessarily paid well. So you're attracting kind of a specific type of person who is going to be a correctional officer in a lot of instances, uh, or a warden who can essentially just like preside over their little fiefdom, um, where there's very little oversight and where it seems like society generally forgets about the people in prisons. But I found the the sort of all of the the statistics around COVID and prisons are are distressing to say the least. But when people are not even convicted of a crime and they're being held, which there's a huge problem with that. And John Oliver has talked about it in a very accessible way, but um, just the way that people are held. uh, And sometimes, you know, there was that case of the guy who was held for over a year at Rikers without being charged just because he couldn't, his family couldn't make the the minimal bail uh, that he was he was being held on, um, you know, we're, we're basically imposing like this is, this is a way of a, of a, of a poor tax because certain people just, just can't, can't make bail. And then they're held indefinitely. And then those people are, are die of COVID because they're also not getting medical attention when they need it. And there's not a lot of care being given to these people. So I'll just kind of end by saying the statistic again, um, 80% of those who died of COVID-19 in Texas County jails were never convicted of a crime. We see you. 
absolutely infuriating. All right. So speaking of infuriating, <laughs> all right, let's move into Emily Murphy. We mentioned her last week. Um, she was appointed by Trump and is the head of the General Services Administration, which uh, oversees the federal civilian workforce and federal government properties and contracts. Historically, the person's position certifies is one of the, the people who certifies the presidential election winners. Emily Murphy still will not certify Biden as the winner, even though he crossed the 270 electoral college vote threshold over a week ago. Um, This all matters because the official transition processes can't begin until she does her job and declares the winner. When she does so, Biden's team will be able to begin doing things like beginning to place transition personnel at federal agency and receiving, very importantly, receiving the classified daily briefings on intelligent matters, including the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, There's normally not an issue with the person in Emily Murphy's role certifying a winner in a timely fashion, um, which is sort of what you do. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Should have done it the day or at the very most, you could argue, maybe two days after the election. Um, Mm -hmm. And she is endangering the American public by not allowing the next administration to have all the tools they need to plan effectively and save lives. The truth is the truth. The facts are the facts. Joe Biden is the president-elect, and he won the 2020 election fairly. Put it in writing and let's get on with it. And apparently, Emily recently sent a message to an associate inquiring about employment opportunities in 2021. Oh, my God. It seems like she knows who won the election. She needs to stop playing games with us and needs to stop trying to curry more favor with Trump by delaying the inevitable and just get on with it. We see Mm -hmm. you, Emily Murphy. Stop stopping democracy <laughs> yes uh, oh god she's awful yeah oh man well this last one is just to call out uh not only the gop um for their capital dinners and their flouting of the rules but also to call out our own um because uh we know better uh as democrats we're sort of the party that listens to science generally um but i was really stunned in a dis- you know and disappointed to see that um nancy pelosi was planning to have a capital dinner uh that was going to have a bunch of people to celebrate the new the new freshman congress um convening in the Capitol, um, even if they were going to be distanced and masked except for when they were eating, um, and it's like a big area, she was still hosting a dinner for 50 members in a, you know, indoors. Um, And she ended up canceling it because of the outcry. But it's just kind of the latest in um, a series of, of, of these types of news uh, headlines that are just so irksome because we, you know, you are trying to impart on Americans how important it is to limit their gatherings, especially right now, especially before the holidays, especially with Thanksgiving a week away. Um, you know, if you if you haven't started quarantining before you see people for Thanksgiving, you shouldn't be seeing them. Um, so I. <laughs> It was just infuriating. And this is just like, you know, we also, uh, Gavin Newsom, governor of, of California, also got in trouble last week because he was seen at a, an upscale um, foofy restaurant in California um, for with like, I think, a gathering of like 10-ish people for fundraising. Um, and he was rightfully called out. You know, again, like when was the last time either of us have been at a dinner with 10 people? Like... January, you know, my birthday. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, yeah, your birthday. Oh my God. Um, so I just, you, you cannot keep making these predictable fuck ups. I mean, how stupid are you (laughs) in these, in these moments? It's like, I get it. It's a tradition. You want to celebrate the Senator, the, the, the new members of Congress Pelosi, but like, uh, there are lots of things we all want to do. Kids wanted to trick or treat. We want to see our fucking families. People wanted to have weddings. People wanted to have funerals. Like people have wanted to gather all year. And at this most important moment, you are saying the rules for thee, but not for me. And that is frustrating no matter which side of the aisle you're on. We see you. 
Yes. Seen. You've been seen. You've been seen. (laughs) And you've got the, uh, you got the good, the good thing up your sleeve as well. I, yes, yes. This was really cool to see. And I, I actually, uh, you know, I actually wanted to Google this more to sort of get more background and just, just to kind of know and hope that other schools were doing the same. But um, in Arkansas, a school district uh, installed 1,400 solar panels and they saved 1.6 kilowatts of energy in three years. And they were able to turn a $250,000 deficit into a $1.8 million surplus. And that is now allowing them to raise teacher salaries by two to $3,000 each. And the surrounding schools are going to copy that model. And this seems to be so exciting because it's showing um it's 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 prioritizing both the um the educa- education um and the salaries of educators and uh the environment and seeing that actually installing solar panels is going to save energy which then saves money which can then be translated into dollars for the schools and to pay uh teachers better which is just really really exciting and it's um a success story that i'm, I'm glad that other schools in arkansas are uh, looking to replicate it. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I, that's, that's an exciting little piece of news. Yay. Yay. I know, a couple of good things all wrapped into one. We yeah. love, we love to see it. We love to see it. I hope everyone's doing okay out there and in, in COVID yeah. world and let us know how you're, how you're coping, how you're doing. And, um, we'll be back at you next week. Yes, we will. Oh.